chapter number five. And I, I've thought about this for probably a week and a half, and it sort of altered a little. And um, there are certain things I'm real nervous about preaching, and this is one of them. And uh, there's always you that uh, never have to occupy this this position. Um, and I'm not saying this for pity. I'm saying because I need your prayers. You don't know what it's like. Uh, to try and preach something that the Lord has laid upon your heart so beautifully. Only when you say the words, it just doesn't come like He gives it to you sometimes. Um, and it's so hard. So please pray for me and I'll try my very best. Um, but quite often, we feel like we fail so many times. I don't want to fail on this one. This one is important, I feel like. Um, Ephesians chapter 5, starting with verse 22. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands, as unto the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church, and He is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself for it, that He might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the Word, that He might present it to Himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it even as the Lord the church. For we are all members of his body, of his flesh and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. Um, two verses in Hosea chapter 3. Then said the Lord unto me, Go yet love a woman. Beloved of her friend, yet an adulteress according to the love of God toward the children of Israel, who, who looked to other gods and loved flagons of wine. So I bought her to me for fifteen pieces of silver, and for an homer of barley and a half homer of barley. And I said unto her, Thou shalt abide for me many days, and shalt not play the harlot, and thou shalt not be for another man, so will I also be for thee. I realize that um, Wednesday of this week, people across the nation, uh, and I guess other parts of the world will celebrate Valentine's Day. Uh, and, and it's a day that, um, I'll not get into its origins, but it's a day that, uh, that we have made it uh, to, 
to lavish upon our spouse or our significant other or whatever, boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever that you might be in your stage of relationship. But I've thought about that this week and thought, and we, we, uh, a stat was brought up in Sunday school, and, and it is very troubling that, uh, that over half of our um, children born in America today are born to homes with a single mother. That is staggering to me. Uh, and it should be staggering to you. Uh, but I, I, I've thought about that and, and then this family. And, uh, and what I read in Ephesians, the first few verses, the, the men of the church were probably looking at their wives and saying, why don't you submit yourselves to me? Or at least you were thinking that. Don't fool yourself. Uh, and and it's, um, you might say that's awful brave to say. Uh, but if you read on, there's a condition there. Uh, that, that most husbands do not meet. And that is to love your wives. We would have never thought about this comparison had not the Holy Ghost compelled the Apostle Paul to put pen to paper. But, but it, it, it puts us husbands uh, in a position uh, where, we ought to, uh, where we ought to really consider what it means that love your wives as Christ loved the church. And gave himself for it. The scripture declares that in the beginning uh, that Adam was formed from the dust of the earth. And, and Adam, as he looked out on God's creation, he saw that, he saw that the animals, they, uh, they had other, other animals. They, they, had, they, had a, uh, they had a partner, so to speak. And, and God looked down upon Adam in that state and he said, you know what? It's not good that man should be alone. He said, let us make a helpmeet for him. And so the scripture says he caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. And he, uh, he formed a woman from the rib of Adam. And God himself brought the woman to the man. And Adam looked upon her. And he said, your name is Eve. And you're going to be the mother of all living. And so he trusted and believed in the promise that God had made. God instituted marriage in the beginning. That's not a man-made thing. And as such, because that God instituted it, we should, uh, we should absolutely uh, consider that to be a holy, reverent thing. Uh, because God formed it and God set it up. Uh, and I believe when Eve came to Adam, I believe he loved her. I believe he said, you are bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. The scripture then goes on to say, for this call shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. You realize that's the only union under heaven uh, that has been made of one flesh. You mothers, I know you love your children, uh, but you are not one flesh with them. You are one flesh with your husband and him alone. Men, you are one flesh with your wife and her alone. Uh, but you see, if God draws that comparison, uh, that as Christ Paul said, this is a great mystery. He said, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. The way if you take that analogy that God has put in place and not me and not man, uh, then 2,000 years ago uh, when Jesus Christ was born in Bethlehem of Judea, 
Uh, he didn't disdain the womb of the Virgin Mary, uh, but he condescended himself, and he was born of a woman, and he took upon himself humanity, uh, meaning that now eternity is married in the time, uh, meaning that now he is bone of our bone and flesh of our flesh. Amen. And he is the bridegroom, and his church is the bride. If we take that analogy a little further, as the Apostle Paul says, uh, that if he is the bridegroom and we are the bride, uh, then the bride uh, must reverence all authority and all respect and all honor due unto the name of the bridegroom. And so it's not an unreasonable thing that the bride uh, should, should do what the bridegroom says and submit themselves to his authority. Uh, but the condition on that is, uh, and it's no, it's no excuse, women today, you do need uh, biblically to submit unto the authority of the man. However, men, before you get puffed up, uh, let me just say, do you really and do we really, uh, do we really uh, love our wives as Christ loved the church? Amen. Because you see, Christ loved the church not because he had nothing to gain by loving the church. He was adored by angels, seraphim and cherubim and all manner of uh, creatures in heaven bowed down unto him. He gained absolutely nothing by loving the church. He didn't want anything that the church could give him. In all manner of human love, there is some sort of selfishness, selfishness there. And we will love uh, and, and, and impart about what we were get returned in that love. That's not so with Christ. He loved the church and not because of what she is or what she has. He loves the church because of what he is making her to be. And so you see, he gave himself for his church. Uh, men, today the Super Bowl is going to be this afternoon. Uh, we won't even give up a ball game for our spouses if you really want to know what the answer is. Uh, but what are we giving? Uh, so in order for a woman to reverence her husband and come under his authority, uh, the husband must be the protector and the ruler of the home. Uh, the husband must be, at least biblically speaking, uh, the one that raises their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, uh, the one that puts everything he has. You have to work at marriage. And you husbands, and me included, uh, we have to to work at marriage. Uh, love just isn't something. If you leave love alone, it will grow cold. Absolutely. You must work at it. And so a husband must constantly give himself unto his wife. And now I know we live in a culture where people poke fun of that and hen peck husbands and wife wearing the pants and, and all of that. But let me just say this. Husbands, if you take the biblical view of marriage, you ought to be willing to give up absolutely everything for your wife. You must be willing to do that. And because that you do that, you see that's where it comes in. It's not a thing that, that the Apostle Paul hated women. He didn't mean for men to rule over their spouses with a rod of iron. But you know how it works when it works right, when a marriage is right. It's because that the husband 
gives himself to the wife and sacrifices everything that he does for the wife. It's because he loves her that much that she loves to submit to his authority. It's the same way with Christ and the church. It's not an unreasonable thing for me to ask you to assemble yourselves at Sunday school time, at worship service time, on Sunday nights, on Wednesday nights. I would say that it is our duty as the bride to submit ourselves to the authority of our husband. And I thought about the whole scripture is nothing but a love story. From in the beginning, God, to even so come, Lord Jesus. Amen. And every verse in between is really just a love story. Uh, but it's not a love story uh, that the world is all that familiar with. It's really not a love story, in particular, Hosea and Gomer. It's not a love story that the church is that familiar with. Uh, Hosea lived about 760 years before Christ was born. And during this time, uh, Israel was what uh, uh, was really doing quite well. Uh, Jeroboam was on the throne, and he had extended the borders of Israel, uh, and they were nations paying tribute to Israel, and they were really experiencing a time of plenty financially. Uh, money was coming in, the coffers were full, uh, but the, it was a lot like America. Uh, God has so blessed America, and He so blessed Israel in that day, uh, that because of their wealth, uh, they forgot who they were. America, we have forgotten who we are. We have forgotten that uh, God doesn't owe us anything. He doesn't promise America uh, to be a superpower for the rest of our lives or for the rest of our days. He did make a promise unto Israel, though. And, and, but because He had blessed them so much uh, that they had uh, raked in all of this money, all of this power, uh, but, but inwardly their hearts, uh, they had let slip away to everything pagan. About 150 years before this, uh, Jeroboam the first uh, uh, began to build up, uh, to build high places, and, and they were sacrificing uh, uh, things to, uh, to calves made of gold and whatnot. And, and so it was during this time uh, God raised up Amos the prophet, and the people did not listen to Amos, and many calls a man by the name of Hosea. And Hosea preached about 40 years. And in those 40 years, you've got just a few pages of this book dedicated to this prophet named Hosea. Uh, but his main message everywhere he went, you can read, he was wanting people to return unto the Lord. That was the theme of his whole ministry, return unto the Lord. Uh, but God spoke to Hosea. And he said unto Hosea in chapter number 1, I want you to go marry a woman of whoredoms. And you might think that's a strange thing, and maybe it is. But I believe it doesn't really say the background. I believe Hosea had saw Gomer. I believe that he, I believe that he began to yearn after uh, this, this woman named Gomer. I believe that he began to love her. And so God said, go marry her. He said, I'm going to make an illustration from your marriage to Gomer and how that I am Israel's husband and we could relate that today to him being the bridegroom and the church being the bride. So if you'll bear with me just a minute. Uh, uh, 
but, but Hosea did go marry Gomer. And I believe the first little bit of their marriage uh, was a picture of what marriage is. I believe he loved her. I believe she reverenced him. I believe that everything was going good. And they even had a son. And God named this son. And he named him Loami. I think I'll have to read to make sure. But at any rate, his name uh, meant that judgment was coming to the house of Jeroboam. And that his kingdom was going to come to an end. Uh, that's what Jezreel, uh, I guess is what he named him. Uh, but at any rate, that's what that meant. But it was after the birth of their first child. And no doubt Hosea looked down on his child and he thought that God was uh, going to make this home something special. And he would, but not how Hosea thought. It was after the birth of that child uh, that Gomer began to get restless. Uh, that Gomer began to do what she had always done. Uh, that somehow she was no longer satisfied uh, with, with her little life. Somewhere along the way, she grew impatient. And somewhere along the way, love began to grow cold. And she began to look after other things. Marriage gets in trouble when men have their own things and own friends. And women have their own things and own friends. And there's never any common ground. That's probably what happened. But Gomer began to come restless. And Gomer did what Gomer always did. She went out and she tried to find it someplace else. And word had got around. Hosea was still preaching, uh, probably during the day with a heavy heart. And at night he laid awake wondering uh, what happened to the woman that he loved. Don't you understand this today? That the bridegroom, he loves the bride. And when the bride does not submit under the authority of the Lord our God, it hurts him. He loves his church and he loves his bride. And this hurt Hosea. But still Gomer did out and did the things that she did. And she conceived again and bare a daughter. And her name meant no pity, no love. In other words, God was saying, your real father will never love you. He'll never pity you. And in much the same way, uh, he was reminding Israel that, uh, that God would, they would finally turn God away so often that he would no longer pity them. It's a thing, really, that God would ever love his creation like he does. I can't understand it. I've never been able to comprehend how that he can not only pity his creation and feel sorry for him, how he can love us. So now Gomer is, uh, she's had this other child. Hosea doesn't even know if it's his child or not. He don't think it is. And then right after she's weaned, she conceives again and bears another son. And his son, uh, me, his name meant not my people or no kin of mine. Hosea had no doubts at this point. This child is not my child. Uh, what happened to this marriage? Uh, what happened to everything? His friends, I'm sure, were saying, Hosea, you let her go. There is such a thing as a biblical divorce. And Hosea was well within his right as a husband to have that divorce and put away his wife under the law of Moses and have his very broad stone to death. He would have been righteous in doing just that. But Hosea, you must remember, he loved his spouse. He loved her. He told his children in chapter 2, please go plead with your mother because I'm trying to give her what's best 
and she's got caught up in all of these other things. You realize today there are people that's been saved by God's grace that are out walking the far off from Him and never coming to church anymore. That God would be in His every right to cut them off, but He begs them. He loves His people. He wants them to come home. And sometimes He sends His children to them like Hosea sent his children to their mother. And he said, tell her, go plead with her. And the children went and pled with their mother to no avail. She didn't come home. She would probably come home and then leave and come home and then leave. But I believe it finally got to the point where he knew she was gone this time. Maybe she left a note, I don't know. But he knew that now this time is different. She's really gone. She's not going to come back to me. And his friends were probably saying, you'd be well within your right to get rid of her. And maybe he tried, I don't know, but there was something in his heart just drawn. He said, I don't know what else to do. I've cut her off. I've hedged up her way with thorns. You know, God does that sometimes. He will get in a sinner's way and hedge up their way. And you know what Gomer did? She just broke through the thorns and broke through the wall. And sinners do the same thing today. Just break through every barrier that God says and still goes on in their sin. But still God gives them another opportunity. You know He don't have to do that. He don't. Hosea didn't have to keep doing what Hosea did. She went through the briars and went through the wall. He said she doesn't realize how good she had it with me. And so He hedged up her way. Now word got out. She had, she had been unfaithful. And that still didn't break her spirit. What I mean by that is, man of God, I've tried to preach into this church from the very first time I came. I still remember the very first sermon I preached, and it was a hellfire and damnation sermon. And I thought, they'll either take that or they won't, and you did. But since that time, I've tried and tried and tried to preach different times, hellfire, damnation, that an eternity without God, if you die lost without being saved, hell will be your home. And how there is no appellate court in hell. In many ways, Hosea set those same parameters. He said, I tried to cut her off and it didn't do any good. And so I believe today that God has different means of drawing His church into Himself. I believe sometimes it takes hellfire and damnation. I believe sometimes it takes the pains of hell getting upon a soul to see their need. Other times that doesn't work at all. And everybody's different. So Hosea tried different things. But the last thing he tried with her was undying love. And that's what I want to talk to you about. Undying love. Word had got back to Hosea that his wife, whom he loved, was now being sold. She had sunk so far into sin, she was now at a slave auction and up for sale. Hosea had no... Um, how can I say this? Hosea had no reason to go and save her. He probably questioned with God. God said, Hosea... You go love your wife. Go yet love a woman, even though she's an adulteress. And Hosea probably thought within himself, she's thrown away my love. 
God was trying to show Hosea all the time. Have not we done that with His love? Have not we spurned everything? You can read the second chapter of Hosea and there's a great divide between verses 13 and 14. Verses 1 through 13, it's like we're standing at the smoke of the bottom of the Mount Sinai and God just thunders down those commandments. Verse 14, He's no longer dealing with her on the basis of those laws. He begins to deal with her with grace. And He says, Now I will allure her. Nothing else worked. The fear didn't work. The shame didn't work. The humiliation didn't work. The thorns didn't work. The thistles didn't work. The wall didn't work. Now, I will allure her. I'll draw her. I'll speak comfortably to her. I'll get my bride away from everything and out in the wilderness. Boy, isn't it good when God just draws you away from everything and just draws you right to Himself and all of those cares and worries and doubts and fears and everything hindering you from serving God just vanish away. He says, I'll draw her and I'll speak to her. I'll speak comfortably to her. And Hosea now had a decision to make. Why should I have to go and get her? She's embarrassed me. She's humiliated me. I'm a laughing stock amongst my friends. And God still said, go love her. Now remember, Paul said, it's a great mystery. It's a great mystery to me how God could love somebody like me. It's a great mystery to me Hosea went and found her. I don't know how long he looked, but he found her. And my voice is about gone, so I'm done. He went and found her, and she was being sold. He didn't just take her home, he bought her back. Amen. <laughs> you know what that means? A slave being sold. Somebody had to pay the redemption price. Somebody had to be willing and able, have the means, have the wherewithal, have the desire, and have the love to pay a price for somebody who was no good. She didn't never do Hosea good, yet he loved her. Words can't explain that. He didn't just take her. He bought her back. You realize 2,000 years ago on a hill outside the city Amen. our Lord and Savior paid that price not because of anything we could ever give Him. He loved us because He chose us. Amen. And He chose us because He loved us. He chose to pay that price Amen. with Amen. His own blood. You and I were at a slave auction. You and I were being sold. You and I had chains on us. You and I were going down into the depths of hell itself. And here comes the groom. Here comes Hosea. I believe Gomer took one look at her and you know what she thought? He's come to mock me. He's come to make fun of me. And the chickens have come home to roost. I'm going to reap what I sowed. But you know, he was good to me and I spurned everything. When you know, when she heard that voice, that I'll buy her back. I'll pay the price, whatever it costs, and you just put that on my account. You know, when the Lord Jesus Christ 
said it is finished. Every bit of blood that he had was spilled. He gave up the ghost. He bought you. He bought me. He bought us with a price that we could never comprehend. Uh, when he took upon himself the skin in the form of a servant, he became bone of our bone, flesh of our flesh. It was love. That's what broke my heart one night. It was love. And I realized on the spot that night in a pew, I was a sinner. But I also realized there was a draw there. Not because of who I was or what I could be, but just simply by His grace, He loved me and drew me out. Paid that price. He was buried. The IOU had been paid from eternity. But when He rose from the grave, that's the receipt. You think about it, church, what He's given to you. He said, I will allure her. I'll speak comfortably to her. When I think about the things that He's given me, a home, a family, a church, eternal life, a promise, as we sang a while ago, that the King is coming, a promise that one day after a while, He's going to come and take us out of here, a promise that one day, where He is, there I'm going to be also. I promise that one day there'll be no more sickness, there'll be no more sin, there'll be no more sorrow, there'll be no more tears, and there'll be no more death. You know what that makes me want to do? When I see how much He loves me, husbands love your wives, as Christ loved the church. When I see how much He gave up for a wretch like me, you know what that makes me want to do? Submit myself under His authority. That's what a marriage is supposed to be. We've lost sight of that. Our culture has made a mockery of marriage. Wives usurping authority over their husbands, that ain't right. Husbands pushing their wives down under their thumb, that ain't right. Men getting women pregnant, leaving them to raise their own children, that ain't right. But when it's godly, and when it's right, there's nothing on this side of eternity that compares with that kind of love. We need more of that in our country. We need more of that in our churches. Wives, it shouldn't grieve you to submit yourself to the authority of your husband. However, husbands, if you want them to be more agreeable towards you, love them better. Show them better. I'm not meaning dote upon them for Valentine's Day, although that'd be a good start. I'm saying show them that you care about them. As Christ loved the church, or to keep every husband awake most every night thinking, have I done that? I promise you, if you do, your bride will willingly submit themselves under your authority. Willingly. Not forced. 
but because you allured her, drawn her, loved on her, gave up yourself for her, that's how it has to work to be right. I dreaded preaching that, and I made a mess of it, but that's all I got. Come ahead with a song.